All right, episode 21 of the Mavs Podcast with Alan Nuts at home. Um, all right, where do we begin? I think it's pretty obvious where we begin this week. Yeah, uh, Tuesday night, uh, our own Dirk Nowitzki passed the 30,000-point mark, which is such an insane number um, of points, and he did it, I think... I think what I loved most about uh, that game, I mean, not only him getting the record, but the way he did it, which is he just came out on fire and was just hitting shots from all over. And, um, you know, obviously he hits the, he hits the fadeaway jumper to get to 30,000. And it's funny if you watch the game, I, I recorded the game and I kind of watched back a couple of times, but Cuban is, Cuban is out there signaling to foul because he wants yeah, to I, stop. To, I saw uh, that. Yeah, to, to kind of, you know, cherish the moment or whatever. They had a video ready and all that. But what's hilarious is that in the interim, you know, the Mavs get the ball back, and then Dirk does a little shot fake, one dribble, and hits a three. And, I mean, the place just explodes even more. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone was going crazy. But then you have a moment where Dirk just passes the 30,000 mark um, by hitting this three while everyone wants play to stop. He's just kind of <laughs> keeps on rolling. So it was, uh, it was amazing. Only the sixth player in NBA history. If, if you count ABA stats, uh, Dr. J actually crossed the 30,000 point mark in his career. Right. Um, so however you want to look at that, six or seven players. Um, but yeah, pretty, uh, just pretty amazing accomplishment by Derek. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, I definitely agree. Like the way he went about it really reminded you how great he is. And um, I guess for me, it also reminded how insignificant, how much of the games he's played in the last like two and a half to three years have been so wildly insignificant, <laughs> and and how much that may have affected his play because. This game, he was, there was like a clear objective. There was, um, he actually mentioned uh, in the interview with uh, Bob and Dan this week how he really didn't like the whole 30,000 shirts being put out and the pressure being put on. But then how clutch was that to just come out and be like, F this, F everybody, we are just, I'm just ending this. I'm just ending it right now, you know, and... And he did. I, he was just—he was just on fire. I think he only missed one or two shots in that first, you know, twenty minutes. And uh, anyway, it was awesome to watch. It really reminded you that that he could still play, especially coming off of that whole uh, Bleacher Report uh, flub from from you know a couple weeks ago, where they were just kind of clowning on Dirk. And that pissed off Cuban. And, uh, you know, it really shows that he still has it, which was really cool. So I agree. Well, and unlike, uh, you know, you see some other guys at the, at the end of their career. And I mean, I'll pick on Kobe since he just retired or, or even Tim Duncan to a degree. And those guys were so much more athletic than guys they competed against. And so when they really stood out and they really stood out because of their athleticism, whereas, 
Dirk's never been a great athlete. You know, I mean, he is a great athlete relative to the rest of the world. But by NBA standards, he's not a great athlete. Yeah. And you can see how even at, at this age and as he goes along in his career, he can still come out and put out 23 points in a quarter in, in a really efficient manner. I mean, this wasn't, you know, the Lakers kind of not guarding him and him just getting layups and stuff like that. I mean, he's, He's working for shots. They're they're doing everything they can to stop him, and they really can't. Yeah, uh, and it's just it shows kind of how, you know, just what he was coming into this league, which is we've never seen a seven foot guy really just consistently shoot as well as he did. I mean, you saw some guys like, you know, there was I mean Jack Sigma could kind of step out and hit jumpers. You know, you had a. Uh, uh, who else am I thinking of that was kind of big? Sam Perkins could step out there and hit some. Yeah, even uh, you know, Tom like, Chambers was pretty good. Right. Um, yeah. But somebody whose game was at seven feet just totally reliant on was was really their guy. And uh, nowadays you see it everywhere. I mean, people are looking for that. You know, they call the stretch four who can step out. I mean, a guy like Kevin Love. You see how much the Cavs are missing him lately. But yeah. that's a direct uh, or Chris or Porzingis in New York. I mean, who they want to build around, and I mean that's a you know direct kind of descendant of Dirk, if you will. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, there's been a lot made over the last ten days or so how he has confirmed that he definitely wants to play a twentieth year. Um, but I, I really think. Uh, I would be shocked if he didn't play a 21st year as well. Like, I, I really think um, if this team is on the up and up, um, his game just ages well, like you just said. And so I think barring any sort of, obviously, any big injury could set everything back, including next year. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely I could see him playing two more years quite easily. So. Yeah, I mean, and he's finally in that position. You know, I think Mavericks fans probably wanted this to happen a few years ago, but where he is the third, fourth best player on the team. Now, he's still such a threat that he really tilts things when he's in the game. So he might still be the most impactful player in the game, even if he is, you know, not as good as some of the other guys. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, he could – he could play a couple more seasons, and even in that 21st year, when he comes in, teams can't leave him alone. I mean, he's going to occupy a defender. So yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very conceivable. And I think yeah, the team's just getting better. So yeah. um, and we can get into that next. But um, yeah, it's it's really cool to see, and I'm glad the Mavericks are. You know, it's so funny. This season started out so horrible, but I look at this as such a great season for the Mavericks right now. I agree, and it's interesting to just document it through our podcast where, you know, so much of the first half of of our episodes are built around roster building, where now we're actually focused on the schedule and the games and the development of the players, and uh, it's just so reflective of the season where we almost – the last thing we wanted to talk about were the games in the year because <laughs> they were yeah yeah there was just nothing to discuss really <laughs> it was just terrible and so um, so yeah Mavs five and two since the All Star break um, really rolling 
I think uh, I did want to bring up, um, it's becoming a weekly topic of Seth Curry on fire, but um, I feel like the more he plays, the more we may be like redefining his ceiling because, you know, last week I brought up how I feel like he really is a second coming of Jason Terry, just in his stature, uh, the way he plays, uh, his irrational confidence uh, to a degree. Um, he really plays so much just like Jason Terry. But just comparing him to his brother, which really a month ago would be near sacrilegious. Um, I was just looking at stats. I mean, he's shooting 58% uh, from the field uh, since the All-Star break and 53% from three-point range from the All-Star break, since the All-Star break. Yeah. But then... You ex- extended to the year, and, uh, you know, his brother's shooting 47% from the field, and he's shooting 48. And um, for this is for the year, 2017, not not calendar year, but the season. Uh, yeah. His brother's shooting 39% from the field, which really, you got to think those are wide-open shots with who he's playing with. Uh, no, he's shooting 39% from three-point range, sorry. And um, Seth's shooting 43%. So, well, I was trying to go the opposite on that with Steph Curry is that he gets so much attention mm-hmm. that I don't think – I think he's getting fewer open looks than certainly he used to. Um, and Seth probably gets a few more. I, I think he probably gets some better looks than, than Steph Curry I mean, does. I don't know because if you're playing with – you know, Clay Thompson and Durant. Like, how is that? You have to think, like, the last year and the year before, he was getting less open looks. You know what I mean? Then you well, yeah, that. having Durant in there probably does open things up compared to last season where he's defending MVP and all. But mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure there are some numbers out there about how open people are, but. Getting back to your point, yes, it's like what seemed crazy previously, and and who knows? I mean, I, I don't think we can sit here at all and say that he's going to be as good as Steph Curry, but just the fact that it's not a Jose and Ozzy Canseco situation <laughs> where there's just such a yeah. dramatic drop off between the brothers, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty encouraging. I agree. It's it's uh, probably the worst analogy you could have thrown out there. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> I think Jose Canseco was MVP of the American League once he upon was, a time. He was. So, he was. Yeah. And Ozzy, I don't think, ever made it to the league. But, um, and you know, do I think Trev Curry will ever be an MVP candidate? No, I don't. But, um, statistically, he's giving, he's giving the Mavs near close to what Steph Curry gives the Warriors. I mean, I think, Steph Curry's at 26 points a game, uh, and since he all breaks, Steph Curry's at 24 points a game. So, and I just read the percentages that he's ahead of his brother in both categories. So, I think that's really valuable. And so, um, that being said, I had a fun trade scenario for you. Okay. Uh, New Orleans calls you this off season. It's your buddy uh-huh. Del Dents. Okay. Hey, this uh, this Demarcus thing isn't working. Okay. Yeah. All right. I want Seth and I want uh, Nerlens 
for DeMarcus uh, Cousins? Do you do it? Uh, do I keep my first round pick? Yeah, it's just a two for one. I say yes, I probably do that. Really? Yeah, I think I probably do. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is really good, and, you know, he and Barnes is your front court. I mean, yeah, you definitely lose something, but you do have Wes Matthews there as a, you know, who could, who could play the two if, if Seth Curry is gone. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you still have your first round pick. I think if it was first round pick plus, plus somebody else, I'm not sure if I would do that. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think you kind of have to. I mean, I guess the only hesitation I have is team chemistry wise. Yeah. You know, like if it's, if it's obviously he didn't, things didn't work out for him in Sacramento and they've actually been playing okay since he left. And yeah, then, they've been playing pretty good. Um, and then if things kind of aren't working out in New Orleans, yeah, you would kind of worry about the, you know, replicating a Rondo situation where, except with a guy who's so talented, you know, but yeah. a guy who who is so headstrong that he can become a problem. But um, from a talent standpoint, I think you'd absolutely do that. Well, I think factoring in all things Mavericks, <clears throat> I don't think they do it. I don't think they do it. I don't think I don't think I would do it because I I feel like it would take about a game and a half for Rick Carlisle to hate DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't already, if there's not already like a hate for him. And I think like when um, the Cowboys signed T.O., like Bill Parcells already hated T.O. He already hated him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel that, um, you know, considering everything in play, um, I think Cuban would be all over it. He would, he would, Cuban would do the trade simply because of how he thinks and how he approaches things. And I think Carlisle might quit <laughs> because of the trade. Cause this is, this is now Carlisle's team. And, right. um, He's going to be able to mold all these guys. He already is. You could see what he's done <clears throat> this year, um, just molding these young guys. So I, I think he would be like, hell no, I don't want it. Um, and really, uh, yeah, I, I got to think he's loving Noel's defense and what it's doing for the entire team defense. Yeah, just in the last, you know, over the weekend, I mean, they just went 3-0 and since, since our last podcast. And two of those wins were against Memphis and Oklahoma City, two teams that are going to make the playoffs this year. And, you know, they weren't really injured. I mean, those were two teams that were pretty healthy and um, who, you know, maybe thought they had something good going. And, and the Mavericks kind of just, I mean, it wasn't very close in either game. <laughs> yeah. like, it was crazy to watch, but you really didn't see the talent parity that had been there previously. And, in both games, I think you saw Noel really make an impact on the defensive end. And I mean, I think he had 15 and 17 against Memphis, and yeah, um, he had some other big numbers against uh, against OKC. But in that one, uh, you know, Mesri came off the bench, I think, and had a good game too. So uh, it was really, 
really impressive. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, didn't he have? I think he had like eleven and twelve uh, in the last game against the Lakers. Uh, and you really see how just having a uh, you know a block here, a block there, like you saw against Memphis. Um, their big still had a big game, but you know he blocked Marcus Hole at the rim. <laughs> it was just like yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And so, uh, little things like that is just improving the team defense tremendously. I'm trying to trying to get the stats for the Mavs post Noel trade on defense because I think they're near the top of the league um, in team defense. But I'll look that up as we keep talking. Uh, the other point I had this week is um, the disappearance of Dwight Powell. <laughs> I don't think he's played like in the last three or four games. Like I, I think getting caught up in Noel, we just forget about him. But uh, he's just buried. Well, right? yeah, Noel and and Mesri. You know, Solomon Mesri's had a really good year, and I think he's so. uh, he really comes in. He rebounds well. He's blocking shots. He's doing the Dikembe thing, uh, which is really. Kind of unnecessary, but but whatever, right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll let him have his fun. But I think that hurts, you know. Like he's such a better defender, I think, than Powell is. Powell just yeah. is overpowered by guys. Sure. He's not as athletic as Noel, so I think it's hard when Carlisle looks down the bench and sees him because it's well, you know, who do I take out? Who do I put in? And plus, the Mavericks have kind of experimented with a. Uh, you know, Noel's been coming off the bench, too, and Dirk's kind of still been in that starting center role. Uh, they've kind of been playing that small ball lineup. And so you yeah. go to Noel and you go to Mejri, and then you maybe come back to Dirk. And so when you get to Dwight Powell, I think, yeah, you're right. It's too far between. I think he got some good minutes against the Lakers, but that's because we were up, you know, 20-plus for most of that game. Yeah, and a lot of people make the case like, oh, you know, his contract really isn't that bad. That's what you pay bench players, um, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I can't agree with that in the least. I think it's a terrible contract. I mean, he's making $9 million a year. It's just, and Measure he makes like six hundred grand a year, you know? Well, yeah, but when you think about Nine million relative to the salary cap now. Like I know you just said this is not much. So I think they think worst case scenario, Powell could be an asset in a trade. <laughs> yeah, that, that's our best case right now. Cause, uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, I, I feel the league is evolving where, where, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I can't see these one-dimensional players continuing to get these contracts because uh, I look at Portland and like an Alan Crabb who was, they kind of made him out to be a three and D guy, but he was really a three point guy. And um, he's got an untradeable contract. Um, uh, Evan Turner up there. I think they got another guy too, but Mo Harkless is okay. But um, um, Bruce Aminu. Yeah, but I'd rather have a Aminu. I'd rather have Aminu. He plays. He's like a Dorian Finney-Smith, like a better version of him. You know, 
He but, hasn't really been this year. I mean, but for the money they pay him, like if you're talking about bad contracts. Okay, Dwight Powell makes I, more I money think, than Aminu. Okay, I'd rather have Aminu than Dwight Powell. <laughs> but <laughs> Aminu is like seven and a half, eight million a year. If we're in, just talking about like putting people in that category of not, you know, overly skilled but making pretty good money, like that's. He's definitely in that category. Well, I guess what it comes down to for me is he's not playing. And um, right. at $9 million a year, I'd rather have a guy like Measury out there that is not making that money. And if he screws up, I'm like, well, I don't care. We could cut him next year and lose nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's true. And um, I just don't know where Powell's career goes because the only reason Nowitzki plays so much and is a borderline liability on defense. He actually plays OKD, but um, that's because he's an offensive legend, you know? And Powell just isn't that, you know? He's he's got, he's like the exact opposite of Seth Curry. Like Seth Curry has irrational confidence, and and Dwight Powell has like irrational, like insecurity. And... It's just, uh, it overtakes him. If he misses one shot, he's done and um, beats himself up. And uh, I don't know. I, I definitely see him being traded in the off season. Not out of like we're giving up on him, but more so like we're just moving on from him. Like uh, another team could develop him in like a Justin, Justin Anderson type light. But uh, yeah. I I don't see it working out here, honestly. And I, I, I know other people think they're like, oh, he's going through a phase, but um, I just don't see where this turns for the better, you know. And and I think when he signed that contract, the, the Mavericks were in a position where we didn't have anybody young on this team, and so yeah. if yeah. we were going to let Powell just walk away, well, we're probably filling that spot with a veteran who is not going to do us any good in the future. So I think they were, they were kind of in a bad spot at that point to, and they made that deal. And it, I don't think it's as bad a deal as, as you, as you think it is, but yeah, now the measure has kind of come along and then you trade for a guy like Nerland's Noel. I think it's, it's probably not a lot of space for him here. Yeah. I think that's what it comes to in the long run. And you know, to, like Justin Anderson's credit, he scored 19 points twice already with Philly. Um, but then he's still only averaging like six points a game, oddly enough. <laughs> so, um, well, a lot of zeros with the Mavericks. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's basically why um, they they traded him is his inconsistencies. And I, I think Dwight Powell's in a similar light. And, and, you know, they can work out and they can get better elsewhere. Um, I just, I don't have a lot of confidence. I don't have any confidence of it happening here. And I think that's okay. I, I just, uh, I just don't see a scenario where it changes is what really what it came, comes down to for me. And really the other question is what is the ceiling on Dwight Powell? Like, let's yeah. say he gets as good as he's going to get, then he's hopefully your backup center, right? I mean, is he going to be a starter at any point in this league? No, no. I no. Yeah. yeah. So 
You know, he's uh, he's at best a rotation guy, and he's kind of a fringe rotation guy right now. So, um, yeah, uh, I agree. If they, could, if they could make a move on that in the offseason, that, that wouldn't be a bad thing. But if he is back on this roster next year, that's great, too, because he's, you know, I don't think he's horrible when he's in there. He just you know, hasn't been... Yeah, I don't think he's bad. I I just don't think he's really great at any one thing. Um, I guess he rolls rolls pretty hard to the rim, actually. He's pretty good at picking his spots on the pick and roll. Um, I just think when you look, I think his best case scenario, if he stays here, is is he fills Dirk's spot once Dirk finally leaves. So, like, in three years... Dirk's gone, and he is the, you know, backup center, backup power forward, you know, averaging 8.6 rebounds a game. And that's fine. I Again, I just, looking at the Mavs' history, when they're picking up, they always have, you know, the Brandon Wright that they're picking up for, like, three, four million a year in developing. Like, we just don't yeah. need, it, it really comes down to his contract. Like, if he wasn't making nine million a year, I would I would look at him like I look at Brusino. It's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> He's developing, you know. Right, right. But nine yeah. million just seems so incongruent with um what he can offer you, you know? Right. Yeah. No, that's fair. All right. So uh that all said, we are in a playoff race here. So Yeah. Week, yeah, the week a ahead. Couple games behind Denver. Uh, the week ahead starts out pretty nice tonight. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets come to Dallas. Nice. And, uh, tomorrow night, the Phoenix Suns. So, with the way the Mavericks have been playing, you can now kind of expect them to win these two games. Like, these are two games they should yeah. get. No, I agree. Um, I agree. Then we got the, the three game Rushed. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is a little a little tougher. Ramps up yeah. quite a bit with a Toronto, Washington, and uh, is it Brooklyn again? Uh, or somebody Philly. else is in, in there? No, it's Philly, Philly, Philly. and Brooklyn. And okay. yeah, you know, I could see that either two and two or three and one. I, I definitely could see us beating uh, Philly and Brooklyn on the road, and then um, you know with Toronto and Washington. We could easily lose both of those, or we could split them some way, somehow. But um, this sets up for March 21st. We've got Golden State at home. And this is going to be a real interesting matchup because uh, I'm really wondering how the development of the young guys plays against... uh, Well, maybe we could talk about this next week, but... uh, you know, especially Nerland's Noel and how that affects their defense against Golden State. Because, uh, you know, if we make it to the eighth spot, this is who we're playing. So, be, yeah, going to be a yeah. Real unless unless they split and, and the Spurs jump up there, but yeah, yeah, the Mavs, if they were to make the playoffs, they're they're taking on Golden State. So, yeah, we can talk about that more next week. I think there'll be a couple good tests for Noel coming up because Toronto's got a lot of bigs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Washington, I mean, they're, they're pretty athletic and, and having someone in the middle to slow down John Wall would, would certainly be helpful. Yeah. And then even seeing Noel against, uh, Tyson Chandler on Saturday will be interesting too, because, yeah. uh, 
I, he is out tonight for the game, by the way, so he may not even play tomorrow. Apparently, he has knee swelling. But, um, oh. yeah, we didn't really get into that, but I'm hoping it's just minor. Um, but anyways, I do think what I do appreciate about Noel, just because the last tidbit is he really shy away from contact for being so skinny. He's really like, he's almost like a bruiser in there, how he just flies around. Yeah. And, um, just, you know, that, that really showed again when he was, uh, blocking Gasol. I mean, Gasol's got to outweigh him by what, 50 pounds maybe? I mean, even though oh, he's, yeah, tri- he's trimmed up, but he's, that guy's dense, man. That guy throws people around. So, oh, yeah. uh, that was impressive on Noel's end. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he, he plays against bigger centers or like a Serge Ibaka in, uh, in Toronto. That, that would be an interesting matchup. So interesting week ahead. And uh, I think, are we a game and a half out of space? Is that right? Is it a game and a half now? I thought it was two exactly, but yeah, might be see. might be a game and a half. Right, one second. Well, we're good Yeah, we're twenty four and a half games out, and Denver's twenty three. So we're just a game and a half out of the eighth spot. So crazy, crazy. I mean, depending on what happens, this could be uh we could be uh in the eighth spot by next week. So again, we're just inching along here. It'll be an interesting week as we uh now completely shift our focus to looking at the playoff standings. So <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? Uh let's see, any parting thoughts? So far here, uh, we check out. No, no, but this is getting getting real exciting for the Mavericks. Uh, just every game for for a team that's this far below 500. I mean, the the American Airlines Center is very much into every game, so so it's starting to get fun again. Yeah, it really is. I'm happy for uh, happy for Mavs fans, happy for the Mavericks, and uh, I guess until next week, huh? Yeah, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Uh, get All us right. on Twitter, um, the Mavs, at the Mavs Podcast, or Gmail, Mavs Podcast at gmail.com. All right. So I'm Al at home, your Mavs at home, and this is the Mavs Podcast. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you then, huh? <laughs>